The Blood Flow Restriction Podcast is brought to you by Saga, a world leader in innovative BFR technology. For more information on our Bluetooth-enabled auto-calibrating BFR cuffs, head over to our website at saga.fitness. And if you'd like to pick up a set for yourself, you can save 20% with the discount code BFRPODCAST. Welcome back to the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast. Today's topic is blood flow restriction for elderly populations. Uh, we probably titled this something around training under BFR if you're 50 or older. And we know BFR is a training modality that can allow increases in strength and muscle and endurance at lower intensities. So right off the bat, it's somewhat obvious how this could impact or be beneficial for elderly populations. But thankfully, we have a little bit more than just theoretical rationale. There are now some systematic reviews and meta-analyses, which are just, you know, compilations of a larger number of studies on the same topic. So we can see if we can find some trends. And so this meta-analysis and systematic review, the topic of today is called effects of blood flow restriction training on muscular strength and hypertrophy in older individuals, a systematic review and meta-analysis. So as far as what the episode is going to look like today, first, we're going to do a quick review on what blood flow restriction training is. We'll be really quick there. Second, we'll just quickly dive into why this is a question worth asking or a topic worth exploring. In other words, you know, why should we even consider whether blood flow restriction training is something that uh, older folks could utilize and benefit from? The importance of muscle mass and, you know, strength and endurance in those who are, you know, 50 plus, then we'll go specifically into this systematic review and meta-analysis. And then lastly, of course, we'll finish with application. So some actionable insights and protocols that we can derive. So if you are someone who is 50 or older in, you know, in that particular context, we will discuss exactly what you can do. If you listen to this episode, you know, how do you take steps forward and make sure that you're maximizing the benefits that you can get from blood flow restriction training? Let's start with a quick overview of blood flow restriction training. If you've been following this podcast for any time, you undoubtedly will know this. Uh, but for, for a refresher here, blood flow restriction training is pretty much what it sounds like. It involves placing a inflated cuff on either your upper arm, arms, or upper leg or legs, and then engaging in some sort of physical activity. And what that cuff does is partially restrict the blood going into your limbs and fully restricts blood from leaving your limbs. The combination of the effect from less blood and oxygen flow reaching your limbs uh, creates a hypoxic or low oxygen environment in your limbs. And then the fact that the blood's not leaving your limbs, both kind of work in synchrony to, long story short, allow you to get, it enhances the stimulus of your training. So you can get similar results to, as you would training under higher intensities while training at lower intensities. So in the context of resistance training, this would be training with less weight. So you can train with lighter loads and still get some pretty serious muscle and strength benefits. And then in the context of endurance training, if you picture walking on a treadmill or a stationary bike, you can move at a slower pace, uh, but the added stress of the occlusion sort of naturally augments or enhances the intensity of your session and gives you some pretty cool adaptations from that. So with that, blood flow restriction training can be advantageous in a variety of circumstances. We've covered this in previous episodes. If you go back to four situations where BFR shines, I believe that's the title of the episode earlier in our podcast, we kind of highlight the specific circumstances where BFR training can be really beneficial. But uh, we actually didn't mention 
uh, elderly populations at that time. We could, you know, that maybe that's not a situation. That's more of a demographic. Uh, but that is the topic of today's episode. So why is it important to begin with? We start to see significant skeletal muscle mass losses in general uh, to the tune of somewhere between 3 and 8% per decade starting at age 30 for most people. And when we see loss of both strength and muscle mass, which they generally occur concurrently or at the same time, we'll, we call this sarcopenia. This, uh, if you are in this demographic, you may have had your doctor, you know, maybe caution you about this or warn you about this, but this having, you know, strength and muscle loss and potentially sarcopenia not only reduces your functional ability, so daily tasks are harder, uh, you know, life in general is just more difficult, but it also increases the risk of injury. So, you know, falling, you're less, you're less uh, capable uh, and it can negatively impact your metabolic health. So this is important uh, because anything we can do within reason, you know, within healthy physiological normal conditions to maintain or build muscle mass throughout our lifetime, particularly as we get into our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond, uh, we should take steps to make that happen. There's a lot that's debated in the world of medicine, but uh, the life longevity enhancing effects of maintaining muscle mass is not even debatable at this stage. This is well understood to be extremely important for overall health as we age. So let's jump right into this meta-analysis. So this meta-analysis compi compiled 11 different studies with a total of 238 different subjects. As far as what studies were included, there's more detail than this, but at a high level, the all subjects had to be over the age of 50. And if you actually dig into this, most of the uh, patients were between 60 and 70 plus. So it was generally a bit older than 50, but 50 years was the minimum uh, age requirement and the, this meta-analysis included both resistance training and walking studies. We'll get into those specifically. And the, the study design had to involve comparison of blood flow restriction training versus non-BFR training, either in high-load training, so it would compare you know, training with less weight with BFR compared to training with more load without BFR, or it would compare low-load BFR to low-load without BFR. And then lastly, it could compare BFR walking versus walking without BFR. And then the, the last major inclusion criteria, which is pretty obvious, is there had to be some sort of assessment of muscle mass and or strength before and after uh, the protocols. So a little bit about the studies that were included. The resistance training studies ranged from four to 12 weeks, and the subjects were tr training two to three times per week. So that was kind of the average when you look at the movements that these subjects were performing, it was a lot of leg extensions, leg curls, uh, some leg press, a chest press, different row variations, shoulder press, typical movements that are relatively easy to learn uh, and you know easy to apply in a research setting. As far as the walking studies, uh, those range from six to 10 weeks in duration, and all of them uh, deployed a four time per week frequency. So let's start with the low load BFR training versus high load training. So again, this is comparing, you know, what does it look like when the subjects train with much less weight, somewhere to the tune of 20 to 40% in general of the subject's maximum strength or max one rep max uh, versus, you know, higher load training somewhere around 70 plus percent of their one rep max without BFR. Six of the 11 studies in this meta-analysis 
fall into this category. And what we see is significant strength increases both in the high load training groups and the low load BFR. But we, we do see significantly greater strength gains in the high load no BFR group. This is not surprising. We know that strength is partially a neural adaptation. So we, the, the act of moving heavy weights, we, we develop a neurological adaptation to be able to get good at moving heavy weights. So you, if you want to get as strong as possible, uh, you, you will need to move heavy weights at some point in time. Uh, BFR even has been shown time and time again to be able to increase strength while training with low loads. But again, that strength is going to maybe not pale in comparison, but it'll be significantly reduced compared to just getting under high loads. It's a skill almost that needs to be learned by training with high loads. Now that's strength. As far as muscle mass goes, we actually see a slight trend towards the low load BFR uh, subjects seeing greater uh, muscle gains than the high load training, but it wasn't a significant difference. We can be fairly certain that both should get give you pretty equivalent results in terms of muscle growth or hypertrophy. As far as how low load BFR versus low load without BFR compared, uh, we saw significantly greater strength and muscle gains when the load is matched. So if you give subjects the same uh, weight that they're training with and they perform uh, equivalent reps and sets, BFR is just going to enhance the stimulus. It's going to get you closer to failure quicker. Again, if all else is considered. Uh, and so often it's it's no comparison when you're when you're looking at low load versus low load BFR when load and, and reps are matched. And then the walking studies. There were three of them uh, with a total of eight comparisons across the three studies that were included here. And this is pretty cool. We see significantly greater strength and muscle growth from BFR versus non-BFR walking. And two of these were actually heart rate matched protocols. So I've talked historically about how if you... Uh, perform one workout, let's say you're going three miles an hour on the treadmill for five minutes at an incline of 2.5. And then you perform that same exact speed and incline for the same duration, but under BFR, the BFR session is just going to be more difficult. You're going to have less blood and oxygen reaching your legs, obviously no blood leaving your limbs. So there's, you know, there's a swelling effect that occurs. You'll see greater accumulation of metabolites. And so if you, if you were to match intensity, uh, the, the BFR, or uh, match speed and all of the parameters, the BFR session just is much more difficult. So your heart rate's going to rise. But that said, two out of these three actually matched heart rate. So they, they stayed at 45% of their what we call heart rate reserve. Uh, so the BFR groups actually would have moved at a slower pace. But if you dig into a few of the individual studies, you'll see um, in one of the studies, which we'll link again in the show notes, uh, the authors note the, the major findings of this study were that knee joint strength and thigh muscle size increased following 10 weeks of walk training combined with BFR in elderly people. In addition, arterial compliance improved by BFR walking tra training, suggesting that concurrent improvements in arterial compliance and muscle hypertrophy can be achieved with walk training with BFR. Uh, Arterial compliance is the ability of our arteries to expand and contract, which is really crucial for overall health, but blood pressure management in particular. So this is really cool. Just by the, you know, if you're already going to be walking, whether that's on a treadmill or around your neighborhood, just by the addition of strapping BFR cuffs on for those in, in the elderly, untrained population, we're seeing fairly significant muscle growth in the legs which is great for functional ability. Uh, this was actually measured in most of these studies by uh, leg press or knee extension strength or a what they call a 30-second sit-to-stand test. 
So if you just add BFR to your walking, you're likely to see benefits. That is if you are untrained. So if you're somebody who's, you know, 50, 60, 70, but you regularly are squatting and, you know, in the gym, leg press, doing reverse lunges or whatever else, you're unlikely to see muscle growth from walking under BFR. But if you're untrained and or all all that's currently in your exercise regimen is walking, this is a easy opportunity that doesn't cost you any extra time and you can just strap some BFR cuffs on and do your thing, walk for 10, 15, 20 minutes and see some pretty cool gains from that. We'll get into more protocols in just a second. But as we move into this application section, I'll start with resistance training since that broadly represents a bulk of uh, the discussion topic here. And the nice thing about this is the application does not need to be overcomplicated. So I'm going to kind of split into two groups. If there, if you are somebody who's currently resistance training on a somewhat regular basis, uh, we'll, we'll have kind of path A. And if you're somebody who's not training at all and maybe only walking or not even walking, then we'll have a path B for you here. But for both path A and B, there's a few kind of non-negotiables or just basic principles to adhere by. So BFR, generally, we're going to get a lot of benefit. The point of it is training under the ability to gain muscle and strength while training under light load. So to immediately go under BFR and, and try to move into the, you know, three to seven, eight, nine, ten 10 rep range is just a little silly. Uh, so in general, let's start with weight that you can move for approximately 30 reps on your first set. So that's a general principle that, that anybody can uh, kind of refer to. And for exercises, think about exercises that involve pushing things and pulling things in different directions uh, and flexing and extending your arm for upper body. So things like chest press, shoulder press, press, chest supported row or any sort of rowing movement where you're pulling uh, an implement or bar towards your uh, the front of your body and then pulling vertically. So lat pull downs, pull ups, if that's something that you can pull off. And then think about flexing and extending your arms. So bicep curl, tricep extension, basic movements. Uh, we don't need to complicate training with BFR. Think about general principles of resistance training and then layer BFR uh, as an augment. For lower body, again, nothing complicated here. Leg press, hack squat, just body weight squats, leg extension machine, leg curls, um, lunges, any movements that you're, you're capable of doing that provide resistance or force through your target muscles are great. And then just layer on blood flow restriction as an added augment. For those of you who are already resistance training, this is very easy. Layer BFR into what you're already doing and see it as an opportunity to reduce load and uh, generally compress the time required during your workout. So you're going to reach failure much quicker or get close to failure much quicker. Uh, and so strap on BFR on your upper body or lower body day and just understand that you can, you'll be able to train with less load and still be able to you know build or maintain muscle and strength. And just understand the rep range changes. You're generally going to start with a, a weight that you can handle for about 30 reps. And naturally, you'll decrease if you're doing multiple sets. You know, your next set might be 25 or 22, and you, you'll end up probably all the way down in the teens if you do multiple sets. So that's that's an easy box to check. If you're already resistance training, great. Just, just add BFR into your regimen. If you're not resistance training at all, you're in a unique position where you can benefit from just about anything. Just almost 
looking at weights you're going to put on muscle. So the goal really should be minimum effective dose. You can even think about your first several weeks as just getting moving and just learning how to move the weight, the bar, the implement, or whatever you're doing. If you have somebody who can work with you, a personal trainer or something, or somebody in your life that knows a decent amount about resistance training, that's great. Just think about your first several weeks as adapting and learning, and you're going to see incredible results just from doing that uh, because you're so sensitive to uh, gains and functional improvements when you are detrained or untrained. As you progress, you can start to pay attention to how much volume or total work in a, in a session that your body can handle. Uh, the, the session itself should be difficult, but you should be recovered and ready to go by the next time you train. So if you're training twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays, your Monday session should be difficult enough to be difficult and provide you a stimulus. Maybe you have a little bit of soreness, but you should be recovered and healed up by the time you go back to the gym on Thursday and then from Thursday back to Monday, you should have adequate recovery in between those sessions. If you want a more thorough review on exercise selection and how to understand how much you should be training and, and a, a more clarity on ascertaining your individual recovery ability uh, and, and requirements for training volume, you can refer to our last few episodes, BFR quad hypertrophy and BFR hamstring hypertrophy. Those go into more depth on kind of ascertaining your individual volume requirements for me to just throw out, uh, you know, you should be doing two sets or three sets or four sets of each exercise. I would just be uh, throwing darts in the in the dark. That's really an individual case by case basis type of thing. Uh, so it's more of a, a framework based approach that we discuss in those episodes. If anything, this section on application should the, the take home message should be don't complicate it. Uh, take basic principles of resistance training and include BFR in those principles. As it refers to uh, on the topic of walking, same thing. If you are already if you already go on a 10 or 15 or 20 minute walk in the morning, you can try strapping on BFR cuffs and uh, walking and including that on your walk. It will undoubtedly make the walk a little bit more difficult. But again, you're going to see plenty of benefits. I'll refer to our BFR and cognition series. There are cognitive benefits uh, even to uh, including BFR during your walks. Uh, you'll see short and probably long-term benefits for your brain, which is unreal, uh, simply by training under BFR and walking under BFR. So uh, again, nothing to overcomplicate here. You can do a, a steady walk on a steady pace for 10 or 15, 20 minutes. You can also do bouts, so five minutes on, two minutes off at a faster pace. Uh, really, this is up to your own uh, you know, goals, time constraints, abilities, etc. Now, for both resistance training and walking, we'll, one of the questions that we receive a lot is, well, how much pressure should I apply? How uh, should I train under you know, 50, 60, 70% occlusion? And... I'll take this opportunity to plug our product. As mentioned on the, the early portion of this episode, this is a podcast by Saga. We produce blood flow restriction cuffs that completely take the guesswork out of your training. So the cuffs with one click of a button within our mobile app will calibrate to you personally so the cuff can understand how much pressure it needs to apply uh, 
to allow for a precise amount of occlusion. So of course, we don't really want to be training with all of our blood flow to our limbs blocked. And we also don't want to waste our time training with pressure that is probably too light or, or uh, too low. RBFR cuffs simplify all of this for you and allow you to one tap calibrate to you personally. And then they allow you to select what pressure you want to train at. So in general, uh, you could train with pressures as low as 30% of your max occlusion, meaning you know, if the pressure required to fully cut off blood flow into your limb, we'll just use round numbers, is 100 millimeters of mercury. You could train at 30 millimeters of mercury, which would be 30% of blood flowing into your limb occluded. Uh, but somewhere around 50% for both resistance training and walking is a really good starting point, and you can increase or decrease as your comfort allows. So if you're just starting to apply BFR, you can start closer to that 30% mark and then work your way north to 50 and, and maybe hang out there for a while. And of course, if you feel like you can tolerate it, try playing with different pressures. Uh, we see pressures as high as 80% uh, occlusion for resistance training at least, and this can be applied during walking as well. Most importantly, this should be uh, challenging in most cases, but something that is also tolerable, and that's up to your own uh, training status and abilities, etc. So in summary, this meta-analysis of 11 studies, uh, we see a general trend that points towards BFR being really beneficial for folks over the age of 50. Uh, these principles apply to regardless of your age, but of course, you know, when you start getting 50, 60, 70, there start to be concerns about joint pain and, you know, lifting heavier loads can be uh, more strenuous and potentially, you know, trend towards greater likelihood of, you know, joint pain or injury. So this is a, a great opportunity to apply a modality that allows you to reduce some of the stress from the joints, you know, the back, uh, and also shorten your time window. You can spend less time in the gym and more time doing the things you, you enjoy in life. And, and so this is how blood flow restriction can be beneficial for you if you fall in this demographic. That's all for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you on the next one.